Weird night in the NBA, but a marquee matchup with the Bucks and the Blazers. And John and I get into what's wrong with our teams, the Celtics and Pelicans. And we all voted today. We exercised our rights to vote. So we're going to fill our cabinets, our government with NBA players and NBA personalities. Whatever. It's the Locked On NBA podcast. Let's go. You are locked on the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Yeah, it's going to get a little weird tonight because it was a weird night in the NBA and we're just the weird guys to do it. Welcome to the Wednesday Locked On NBA show. I am John Corrales. I am the co-host of the Locked On Celtics podcast. You can find my writing at boston.com, redsarmy.com, and patreon.com slash John Corrales for those of you who wish to subscribe to me for two bucks a month. And you should subscribe. And by the way, I'm Jake Madison, host of the Locked On Pelicans podcast. You can find me on Twitter. It's at Nola Jake. Yeah, I've got to uh, really plug my Patreon wherever I can. But, uh, you know, look, shameless plugs on the podcast. That's what it's all about. Uh, find me on Twitter, Red Zombie. Well, 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 well. Yeah, no, whatever. Like, I'm in charge here for, well, until until I get fired after this podcast anyway. So we had a, a kind of weird night in the NBA with, uh, like, usually last season, uh, Jake, our podcast was full of, like, ten game nights. This is a weird night in the NBA. So let's run down the scores with uh, Atlanta and Charlotte, uh, the Charlotte Hornets beating the Hawks 113-102. Uh, Kemba Walker was the high scorer with uh, 29.7 assists for him. Jeremy Lin, 19 points off the bench for Atlanta. Trey Young with 10 dimes. Also tonight, the Brooklyn Nets and Phoenix Suns in a game that no one should care about unless you live in either of those two cities. 104-82, Brooklyn beats the the uh, Suns. Devin Booker, 20 points for the Suns. Karis LeVert, 26 for Brooklyn. And then there's this game. <laughs> uh, we get to rag on the Wizards, and uh, this is probably the reason I love doing this podcast more than anything now. <laughs> the Washington Wizards, Jesus, my man, God. Uh, 119-100 losers to the Dallas Mavericks. And, okay, so John Wall had 24 and 10. Uh, 10, 10 assists. Uh, Luka Doncic had 23 points. Big night for him. Uh, this is just getting embarrassing for the Wizards. Like, oh, it's, it's not good. It's bad. This is bad. Like, this is, like, Dwight Howard, I, 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 listening to people on podcasts and listening to some, uh, national radio, uh, people were saying, okay, now, they, they don't have a, a, a rim protector. They don't have a rebounder. Dwight Howard is coming back. He, he's going to change things. And no, no, he didn't. This has been just as bad. They are just as lethargic on defense as, as they have ever been. They are, there's nothing, nothing going right for the Wizards. And you, the only thing that has kept this from imploding, I think, is the fact that uh, Scott Brooks has three years left on his deal and is owed something like $20 million, and Ted Leonsis, the owner, is just not willing to eat that kind of money, and uh, Ernie Grunfeld, the, the GM, has been there forever and is so firmly entrenched that he's just kind of like Teflon, like uh, the, uh, the guy's... Uh, what was the podcast I was listening to the other day? It was maybe Lockdown NBA, where they were talking about this, and he's like Teflon Don, where 
I'm sorry, I listen to so many podcasts that I forget who called him that, but it's so true. These guys, this is it for them. They have to blow it up. They have no choice. You, 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 you have to. One, it's tough to trade John Wall and the contract and all of that. And it's like, I don't know, maybe you find a team desperate enough for that. But like, they're, they're two and eight at a certain point. Heads have to roll. Like, you don't have a choice. You have Wall, you have Beal, you have Dwight Howard. And like, you just should be better than this. There's some wing depth too. Not a lot of teams have that. This is just a disaster all around. You look at this and it's a 19 point loss, 119, 100. And you look at the box score, even if you don't watch the game, and you're going to wonder how the hell the Wizards lost by 19. Some numbers because it's more fun. Dallas had seven more turnovers in this game than the Wizards. Uh, they barely shot better than them, you know, and at one, uh, the fast break points were the same. The second chance points were the same. You look at this and how did Washington lose by almost 20 points? And there's no answer other than they're just kind of bad. And as you said, lethargic is probably the best <laughs> word to describe them. But, like, you look at this, this should have been a win or a very close loss for them at worst. Like, and they lose by 20, 19, technically, but let's round up and make yeah, it look sure. worse for them because it's fun to rag on the Wizards. But, like, there's uh, there's no reason for this. It's it's kind of as simple as that, right? Like, they, they you'd be even money or or worse for you if you're betting on them being the first team to have a players-only meeting if it wasn't for the fact that Minnesota had one in preseason. I'm not even sure we should really count that. So they probably are in the running for this. Look, the, the Wizards have just – they have an opportunity here. They had an opportunity here to string a few games – a uh, few wins in a row. The Knicks, they they beat the Knicks. They have the Mavericks on the road. They should have won this game. They have the talent to beat the Mavericks. They just do. Orlando is up next on Friday. They should win that game. And they're pretty evenly matched with the Heat. They So that could go either way. Then they have Orlando, Cleveland, and Brooklyn. This should have been a stretch where the Wizards kind of put a little win streak together and kind of drag themselves back up and shut all of us up, shut people like me up, and they they are not able to do it. So, okay, you lose to Toronto. You lose to the Warriors. Kings, eh, we're, we're going to overlook that. <laughs> but even the Grizzlies, even the Thunder, those are tough teams. So you can you can explain away, we didn't have Dwight, we're incorporating Dwight, all of those things. But the Mavericks are a just not, they're not good right now. They're rebuilding. You gotta win that game. And if they don't win, if they don't beat the, the, the magic, if, I mean, they're, they're in really, really deep right now. And I, I don't know what, what they're gonna do, but that, that, that has to change. It really has to change. I'm, I'm stammering because I'm just so confused by how they're so bad with so much talent, other than they just don't care. The players who are there just don't care. They're loafing all the time. Uh, you watch that game, there's just no effort, Jake. Uh, look, it's complacency, I think. And they've just all been together for so long without enough new blood maybe to mix it up. You know, you have, as you said, Grunfield, their GM's just been there for forever. You, you have to do something just to shake it up. Like, Dallas is the one, one of the two teams in the Western Conference that teams feel like they can beat on, on every night that they play them. That's not easy to say in the West. And they lost to that team. And it's as simple as that. This seems bad. They need to blow it up. They need to make trades. They need to do something. I don't I don't know what that is. I don't 
know if they'll actually do that, but that's at the end of the day what it should be. So let's move on before we start repeating ourselves. Milwaukee Bucks, Portland Trail Blazers. Portland, 118-103 winners uh, beating the Bucks, and it was the C.J. McCollum night, man. That dude, 40 points, 17 of 26 shooting, and he just abused Dante DiVincenzo, dropping him to the floor on a crossover, just taking advantage of him, just taking the rookie to school. Uh, so it, that was pretty rough, by the way. That like, was. <laughs> you almost felt bad for the guy on that. No, I did. I totally felt bad. I was just watching him. I, was, I tweeted it out. I said, oh, my God, poor Dante DiVincenzo. Even before he dropped Dante DiVincenzo there with the, the, whatever Dante slipped or whatever, like, I, I felt bad. Like I tweeted it out where I, I, I said poor Dante DiVincenzo because he had been abusing him and picking on him for the, that, that whole stretch. So McCollum was just a monster, but I think the bigger issue here is the Milwaukee defense, which continues, continues to just let other teams, uh, bomb away from three. I, as the Celtics guy, watched the Celtics decimate and set a team record and almost an NBA record, one three pointer shy of an NBA record, uh, against the, the Bucks here. They, they, on the pick and roll, drop their center. They, they allow these, these teams to, to bomb away from three, their strategy is no dunks, no layups. And if there's a good shooting team with a good point guard or good perimeter, they can go out there and they could just bomb away. And, and the Bucks really have no answer. And I think that's a strategic thing. And that's going to cost them. Yeah, you know, it, it, that sounds like a great strategy if you're hoping to play the Warriors in the finals, right? That's the guaranteed championship yeah, for, for the Warriors at that point. I will say, though, going back to this team and kind of this game in particular, at least the Bucks are shooting threes more now than they did last year. It's nice to see Budenholzer come in and say, let's rip threes. They took 42 in this game. That's, I think they averaged something like 27 last year. Like, what they're doing this year compared to that has been a significant increase. So they're kind of running a more modern offense which is good. I think in this game also, if you want to look at this one, the thing that kind of bugs me the most is, like, Evan Turner was on the court for 31 and a half minutes, and he was a plus 21 on the night. When he's out there leading a second unit, this Bucks team should have torched them, and they just weren't able to do that. So I kind of worry about them and their depth in the playoffs, so maybe it's better since you shorten your rotations then. But, man, like, they're – they're so good, and Giannis does so many things so effortlessly and might be my favorite player to watch in the league not named Anthony Davis. But their holes and their weaknesses are just glaring when you really pay attention to them. Yeah, uh, I would say that the Evan Turner uh, thing is, is especially notable because uh, looking at his totals this year, he's hit – uh, he came into this game hitting two of 11 from three, and he hit two of five in this game from three. So there's even that. Even Evan Turner is burning the, the bucks from three. That's how bad it is for them. So we'll continue to monitor how bad the bucks three point defense ends up being. Uh, that's going to be something to watch moving forward. In the meantime, we implore you to follow our social channels, Locked On NBA Net 
on Twitter and Instagram. It is super, super cool to follow that Locked On NBA Net on Twitter and Instagram. On Twitter, you're going to get this big compilation of all of our feeds, all of our tweets curated so the best ones get through and some of the crap that I tweet doesn't make it through. So you know that by following Locked On NBA Net on Twitter, you're going to get all of the Locked On hosts, all of their best stuff on a game night. It's an amazing Twitter handle to follow to do that. And on Instagram, you get little snippets in the Instagram stories and on the feed of the podcast of either Locked on NBA or individual podcasts that had that had great things going on, and you get little snippets. So it's very, very cool. Locked on NBA Net on Instagram and on Twitter. All right, Jake, now for a segment we call What's Wrong with Our Teams? <laughs> a lot right now, I guess you could say. I suppose that should be – we should include like the sad trombone. Wah, wah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> We we don't need to up our effects budget. That is for sure with nope. with you with you doing those things. So everything we just said about the Bucks, they're clearly one of the top teams in the Eastern Conference. Having really watched them now a couple of games and seeing how Boston matches up for them and the struggles that Boston's kind of going through at times, are you worried? Are you worried about Boston overall or with specific matchups? Like what's going on there because they've struggled a little bit recently. I'm not worried about the Bucks because the Celtics just decimated the Bucks and they uh, I think they can uh why well, say decimated. Uh, they 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 won by like two, but I felt like there was also just some weirdness going on in that game. But I I think they can beat the Bucks pretty handily by just exploiting that defense. I think the things that are going wrong with the Celtics who obviously everybody was looking to them as being one of the potential NBA finalists. Their shot selection is just terrible. And David Locke has has gone on multiple podcasts and talked about their shot profile is just bad. They don't take smart shots. They generally have struggled with the whole concept of getting to the rim, which is, is just a major problem. Their defense remains one of the best defenses in the league unless they're facing Jamal Murray, apparently, who just went off for 48 against them uh, when they played in Denver. But aside from uh, letting one guy go off like that, their, their biggest problems are on offense, they, they tend to devolve into offensive uh, isolation uh, stretches where a player, and, and often it feels like it's in response to, we've missed a few shots and I, insert Celtics player name here, am good enough to hit a couple of shots that uh, can stem the tide. And unfortunately, a lot of those individual plays, the isolation plays, which often result in long twos, they don't stem the tide. And when, what ends up happening is those long twos end up with long rebounds and misses that set the other team up in transition and they will go through stretches where even after the first quarter in Denver where they were really, really awesome, they go into these isolation stretches where they give up those long twos, where they take these long twos and give up the long rebounds, and the other team goes off and scores or draws a foul, and leads start to dwindle. And so that that's where the Celtics really, really have their biggest problem. Defensively overall, they're going to be okay. Offensively, when they move the ball and pass and the ball is popping and they get those paint touches and the ball goes side to side, they look great. 
But unfortunately, that doesn't happen very often. So if you're wondering from the outside what's going wrong with the Celtics, shot selection is the biggest thing. It's the one thing we're all talking about in Boston. Well, and, and you can see it. it. It kind of bears it out of the numbers, too. I mean, they're 27th in two-point percentage, which that usually means you're taking a lot of long twos and not getting to the rim. And then, as you said, that creates a big problem in transition where now teams can kind of get those and run against you. And you're also not, what, a great offensive rebounding team. And I don't know if that's necessarily by design or just happenstance here. But if you can't get those, some of those at least easy second-chance opportunities, it's going to hurt your offense as well. I'm not worried so much about the offensive rebound. I think there's a strategy to that they'd rather get back on defense than crash the boards. Uh, their, their biggest issue, I think, is their their lack of getting to the rim and their lack of free throws. They're amongst the worst free throw attempts teams in the league. They take amongst the most two-point shots in the league. And uh, on top of it all, they're shooting terribly on wide-open jumpers. They're, they're wide-open shots. They're shooting in the low 40% range. So they are just – and I think because – a lot of those wide open shots end up becoming long twos. There, that's what NBA defenses are geared to. Give up those shots. You can have it. If you want a 20 footer, go ahead and take it. Every defense in the NBA will gladly give you a 20 footer. And the Celtics, unfortunately, are gladly taking those 20 footers. And that's the big problem. But look, enough about my team. There's another team that's represented on this podcast that is also struggling that may not have been expected to struggle as much as they are right now. So Jake, what's wrong with your team? <laughs> We've done so many game shows on, on the podcast at times. I like that we have a new one now, not even in the fun segment. I can, I can do a much more game show voice. Jake Madison, what's wrong with your team? Oh, this makes me feel good? better about the Pelicans being four and six and on a six game losing streak and looking terrible during this six game stretch. Now, th- so there's a lot going on here. I think first and foremost, it has to do with Anthony Davis being injured. He hurt his elbow on a monster dunk against the Brooklyn Nets and just hasn't looked right since. They held him out for some games. Then maybe he came back just a little bit too early. You've seen him kind of shaking out his right arm after shots, after rebound attempts, different things like that. So he's very clearly not at 100%, and he's still capable of putting up like 18 and 9, probably being way less than that, and also just not nearly caring. But it's something kind of similar to what you were saying. This team isn't really playing their style of ball during this losing stretch, which is basically just all playoff teams from last year. There's no kind of like everyone panic losses here just yet. But it's still disconcerting to lose six in a row after you started off four in a row and everyone was putting them in the top five in their power rankings. But it really comes down to them just not playing their style of ball. They're not playing in transition. They're not the best half-court uh, team because they don't have three-point shooters there. When you're relying on Solomon Hill to hit three-pointers from a corner for you, something is desperately, desperately wrong. You know, it, it probably you can take that even further now. Alfred Payton's been out for the team, too. He was kind of a bit of a revelation through those first four games, pulling the strings from this offense. He gets to the rim, Alvin Gentry has said it, um, in preseason and in training camp. He gets to the rim better than any other guard in the league than Russell Westbrook, and that's kind of key. Attacking, dribble penetration, and all of a sudden he's out there 
out of there, I should say, Drew Holly's kind of thrust back into that point guard role where he's a little bit more indecisive. It's leading to a lot of turnovers. They were the best team in the league in terms of not turning the ball over. They've dropped to the bottom five during the six-game losing streak. Just sloppy basketball leading to easy points for the offense that hurts their defense. And all of a sudden, everything's compounding on itself. And we don't have Anthony Davis capable of taking over games and being that MVP candidate like he was to start the year. Yeah. You're going to lose against playoff teams from last year or, you know, teams like the Denver Nuggets this year. Then you kind of compound it where we thought this bench might be pretty good this year. And then, no, they're not. You've got Julius Randle who can come off and give you 20-plus points on any given night, but he's been asked to do a little too much right now. You've seen kind of uh, more turnovers from him. The shooting's gone down. The shooting percentage has gone down as he's been more efficient and had to take on a bigger role. That's really not what they want him doing, at least just yet, maybe as the season goes on. So I think all of that is why all of a sudden the Pelicans are, like, out of the playoffs if it were to end today, sitting at 4-6, and six, despite that, you know, kind of gangbusters 4-0 start. So let's let's look at this realistically. The 4-0 start came against the Rockets, who were really, really struggling, then the Kings, Clippers, and Nets. Now, the loss starts with Utah. Also struggling, but Utah's supposed to be very good. Nuggets are hot. You played the Warriors. You played the Blazers, who are playing really well. Spurs, that's an iffy one because they're they're, but they're always the Spurs and then the Thunder. So up next, Bulls, Suns, Raptors, Timberwolves. You could get three of those next four games. Knicks, you can get at least four wins out of this potentially. At three. Is this oh, a situation yeah. that the 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 Pelicans are just not good enough to beat good teams. They're good enough to beat mediocre to bad teams, which means the, the Pelicans are going to be fighting for a 6th, 7th, 8th seed. So, I, I, no, because I think we're seeing them kind of at the top of their game, they look really good. And even though those wins were kind of against mediocre teams, they were for the most part pretty decisive, which I think says a lot. I think when I look at this losing streak, like, it, look, it's not good. You never want to lose six in a row. Five of them were on a row and they were consecutive. That's the longest stretch this team's going to have away from home this year. If you can kind of get it out of the way now, cool. That's great. It's also five-game road trip is never going to be easy. They're not healthy with Anthony Davis missing a handful of those games. Alfred Payton's missed all of those games. And this team's not going to win very many games when both of those two guys are out there, two of, you know, your top guy and another top four, top five guy as well. If, so nothing's to me is like a sky is falling, let's panic, let's freak out. I think this team's very cautious, at least with the Alfred Payton injury being like, look how good we are the first four games. Cool, let's just get into the playoffs and we'll win games there and we don't necessarily care what seed we are, though we'd like to be, you know, as high as possible. You lose to the Bulls, you lose to the Knicks, you lose some of these other games when you do have these guys back. Yeah, then, then we need to have a serious kind of come to Jesus talk and be like, okay, the hell is going on here? Until I see that, I'm not going to kind of panic and freak out yet. I'm just going to say, hey, cut down on the turnovers, get some of these guys back, and I think we'll be okay. All right, so that's what's wrong with our teams, and we hope that you uh, continue to pay attention to our teams. We also hope that you pay attention to the Locked On Fantasy Podcast. Locked On Fantasy is one of the top podcasts on the network because you don't have to be a fan of a particular team. We all have teams, uh, players from all teams on the Fantasy uh, our fantasy team. So you search for Locked On Fantasy. Josh Lloyd's going to walk you through every move you need to make, every player that's doing well, players that are uh, a little undervalued, overvalued, to help you make the decisions that 
can win your league. So go search for Locked On Fantasy wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Okay, Jake, I voted. You voted. Big day. Our democracy is strong. So we are taking election day on Locked On NBA, and we're going to turn it into who do we want in positions of power? We're going to put NBA players, NBA personalities, anybody in the NBA sphere, we're going to fill our roles of government. You ready for this? I like this because I don't think – usually you and I would be on the kind of same page of this. We talked before we started recording, and you didn't give me your answers. Mm-hmm. And I asked you if one person was going to be your president, nope. and she was not. Nope. So I don't know where this is going to go, but I'm excited. Yeah, Let's I find out. I said flat out, you're not going to be able to guess my president. So you give me your you give me your president first. If you were putting an NBA figure, it could come from anywhere in the NBA sphere. Who is your president? Look, I, I think to me this one's pretty obvious. I'm picking Popovich. Like, you know, I think he's kind of near the end of his tenure there with the Spurs in San Antonio. Maybe he needs a little bit of a different kind of role, but he's so smart. He knows what he's doing, and it's just all for the good of the league, so you want to keep him engaged, right? That's the perfect presidential uh, candidate for me here. He speaks well. He doesn't do the BS stuff with the media, which is a useful thing to have at times. So I'm excited to put him into the presidential role. I, I I cannot argue that. I cannot argue that. However, that's not my choice. I do have Popovich in my government, but my president, if I were to give an NBA personality, my president is Jared Dudley. Oh, wow. Yeah, in a million years wouldn't have guessed that. Okay, so look, I'm excited. Let's hear it. What, no one like? would what guess Jared Dudley. No one. But if you listen to Jared Dudley talk, he is, first of all, he is honest. That guy just tells it like it is. He will, and, and he is so smart. He gets in depth. He'll tell you everything that he sees, everything that, every step of the way, everything in his career. He's, he'll, he'll be very honest. When you, when you hear him on a podcast, I think he's one of my favorite podcast guests because I just love the way he talks about the game. I just love the way he talks about everything in general. He is genuine, honest, intelligent, and I think when you look at his role on teams, he is willing to sit there and be on the bench and mentor. If you put him out there, he's going to play as hard as he can. He is the perfect guy, I think, to go out there and lead because he knows what's going on, he's aware of the situation, and he will take a backseat when he needs to, and he will step up when he needs to. And I think the sign of a great leader is somebody who's not always in the in, does does not always need to be like front and center. Sometimes to be a great leader, you need to step back, and I think Jared Dudley can can do that. Okay, no. I like that actually though, like a guy who kind of sees the bigger picture will tell it like it is and then just get good people in the right position to go out and execute. Yep. Jared Dudley's main goal is winning. His main goal is what's best for the team. And that I think is the running theme throughout my choices. What is best for this country? Jared Dudley will do what's best. So vice president, who's your choice? So I really debated this one, and when you and I were texting trying to figure out this segment, 
I made, we made, I made a joke about just going with the all Sam Hinky ticket. And then I uh-huh. you, I'm not a big Sam Hinky guy. I really mean that. Like, too much kind of like Silicon Valley, like text corporate speak for my taste and all of that. But you know what? For a second in command, someone to kind of balance out your first in command. And for someone who thinks about the process and how to get to the results, I don't hate him in that kind of role. He's not the full one in charge. He can kind of be put in his place when he wants to resign and write 14-plus pages about all of that. But he is a very smart guy, and there's no denying that what he built in Philly really is kind of working right now, but he just wasn't the guy to kind of get him all the way to the very end. So for that reason... I'm going kind of bipartisan here with a guy I don't like and putting Sam Hinkie in that vice presidential role. Man, you're really putting me on the spot. I hate the process so much. I hate the intentional <laughs> losing so much. Uh, but I respect, I respect putting somebody you disagree with as, exactly. as high up. I, I respect the different perspective. Uh, it's it's almost like the consigliere role in in you know the whole organized crime movie. Like you need somebody that's able to tell the boss directly, you're not. I disagree with you. And somebody who's safe to do that, I respect that. My vice president, again, completely out of nowhere, but Rachel Nichols. I, I just oh, I, no, that's that's good. Yeah, I I I just love. In that role of vice president, advisory to the president, a moral compass that is, is just, I think, great. Someone who's also very intelligent. Someone that when you need to break a tie, when you need to send somebody to the Senate and say, okay, I'm going to be in control of this, who has a lot of responsibility, but also is very advisory. I think she would be, and also a very unique perspective. I think that she would serve in that purpose, in that role, very, very well. Also someone who's very well respected around the league as a whole, too. I think that's kind of really important, too, that when you do need to send someone to go break that tie, the room listens to them. She's going to do that because everyone listens to her because she's awesome. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Okay, I wrote some other notes. We didn't talk about which roles we're going to fill, but I think two – uh, and you can, I don't know if you have options for this or not. I think the two most important roles in government are, and this, I, I we're going into like a whole civics thing, and this podcast is going way long, but <laughs> that's alright. Uh, I'll take the heat on this. The two most important roles in government are the, the leads in both chambers of Congress. So the House Speaker and the Senate President. Either one, I mean, I wrote House Speaker as Brad Stevens and Senate President as Greg Popovich. This is where I put those two guys. This is where I put Popovich because the president is the leader and the the final arbiter, but the nitty-gritty gets done in Congress. And I think you need your best actual leaders, the best leaders of the team that can get the team to perform at their best. That's where you get your your two guys and in my opinion it's Greg Popovich and Brett Stevens. It could be uh Steve Kerr, it could be other your other coach. But those are the, the two coaches are in each chamber of Congress and they're the ones that are gonna lead the actual legislative process to get us the best possible laws for President Jared Dudley to vote on. 
Okay, that was good. I actually don't hate putting the coaches in that place. So I don't have those positions, but one I do want to throw out there, and I'll just end it on this and keep it easy, is the the press secretary, maybe the most visible role in all of our cabinet here. And for this one, I picked Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, a well-spoken, really likable person who's also pretty damn funny when you give him the right situation. I think he's working in the writer's room now on a sitcom or something like that that's coming out. Maybe it's not even a sitcom or something else, but he's working in a writer's room for TV right now. So that's the kind of guy I want doing the messaging for me. He's going to have the respect of everyone being a Hall of Famer and all of that. So I've kind of thrown him into that role, too. And also, I think we kind of got this started from, I think it was the Howard Beck tweet talking about uh, Kerr Popovich running for president, and it was Daryl Morey coming in saying, I want to be in the cabinet. And they said, anything but Secretary of Defense. That's awesome. Since they don't, which was such a great tweet. That's excellent stuff. So I was trying to figure out who I want to put maybe as Secretary of Defense. I said I want Gary Payton just because we need more Sonics in our lives. That's awesome. That's awesome. I actually wrote down Press Secretary and Secretary of Defense, which is I – Gary Payton is an awesome choice. The glove – Amazing defender, and I will never argue that. From a Celtics perspective, I would debate putting Dennis Johnson in because, you know, shout out to, you know, rest in peace Dennis Johnson. He's one of the best defensive guards in the league outside of Gary Payton. But my press secretary choice was Joel Embiid because he would be entertaining as hell in front and also very loyal. He's a very trust-the-process kind of guy, so he would very much toe the company line. And you need somebody that can go out there and just lead that that charge and also be funny and disarming so the rest of the media can be like, oh, that's funny, and not ask the follow-up question. So I think Embiid would be perfect in that role. My secretary of defense, actually, outside of, like, again, uh, outside the box, Jeff Bidzelik, because... One, he's in the news, and he's going to be Houston's defensive coordinator. And I just wanted two straight national podcasts where Jeff Bedzelik was named. My other two things that I wrote down, Secretary of State, my guy, Danny Ainge, because I want that guy negotiating deals with other countries. They would feel like they're they're doing well, and ultimately it would be what's best. Like he would fleece other countries. And my Surgeon General, I randomly wrote down Surgeon General because Jeremy Lin scored, uh, he led the Hawks off the bench. I would say right now in the NBA, no one knows more about medicine than the guy who had the most medicine performed on him, and that's Jeremy Lin. Oh, he's a, what? He's an Ivy guy, so that's good too. So he's Man, smart. he's a so Harvard guy. A good person. Yeah, it's, it's a good person to put in there. I get that. I guess if I could pick Secretary of State, I actually might pick LeBron. Like, he's the guy who's going to decide what's important, what needs to get done. I kind of trust his decision-making on that. And also, at this point, with all the things he's doing now, he seems like a good negotiator. I feel like he'd be great in that role. Look, LeBron has been running a lot of things for a long time behind the scenes, so that's kind of what the Secretary of State does. Yeah, it's like kind of what they do. <laughs> it would be, yeah, so, yeah, I like that, I like that. Uh, if anybody is still listening to this podcast, tweet us, RedsArmy underscore John and at Nola Jake. Yeah, let us know who your your choices are here. If you like our choices, if you hate our choices, give us your governmental positions, uh, NBA-themed governmental positions. Could be any of these that we mentioned. Could be something else, anything, anything. It's all out there, wide open for you, so do that. Again, I am John Corrales, co-host of the Locked On Celtics podcast. 
My written work is on Boston.com, RedsArmy.com, and on Twitter, I am RedsArmy underscore John. And I'm Jake Madison, host of the Locked On Pelicans podcast. You can find my written work over at LockedOnPelicans.com, and you can find follow me on Twitter at NolaJake. We hope you enjoyed the show, man. I feel like this went way long. We have a bunch of technical issues, so we're piecing a lot of different things together, so we had no sense of the timing. But we hope you enjoyed the podcast, and uh, subscribe. Search for Lockdown NBA. If you're a new listener, if you came from one of our feeds, me or Jake, search for Lockdown NBA. Listen to all of the shows. It's great, great national content from the people who host Lockdown local shows. Uh, thanks for listening and share the podcast, spread the word, tell everybody to listen to the Lockdown NBA podcast here on the Locked On Podcast Network.